Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Welcome to the fee-for-service dentist podcast. Today, we're going to talk to Dr. Rob McGuire, who's uh, practicing his business as the fulfillment coach. And he talks a lot about that. But he's going to tell us about his journey into fee-for-service and his uh, Georgetown experiences in dental school, which as a Syracuse guy, that's a problem for me. And he went in the Navy and he did his three years at Paris Island. And then he went back home and worked as an associate going to be a partner and guess what that didn't work out shocking hard to believe that story i'm sure then he found out bought his own practice and uh practiced fee for service for the 28 years he had it he's going to share some insights and some thoughts and i think it'll prove very helpful especially if you're in a situation where you might be considering leaving the position you're in or moving on to a different area just some of the the mental exercises that you go through to get to that point and that realization that that's what you're looking for, I think will be very helpful. Again, fee-for-service dentist podcast brought to you by Kettenbach Dental. Kettenbach has a brand new restorative product, Vesalis Fill and Vesalis Flow. It's a light cured nano hybrid composite. It's highly filled over 80%, great polishability and very durable and strong it's an ideal composite for your anterior and posterior needs great shade selection system called the flex shade shade a1 through a4 and has an opaque and a bleach shade so reach out reach out to kettenbach they have so much more than just this product this is just one of the ones they're highlighting they're a great company they got great reps all over the country reach out find someone in your area Talk to Dan at 877-532-2123. Tell him you listen to the podcast, whatever, enjoy it. Prices are right and the materials are great. You love the podcast, you like the podcast, click like, share it with your friends. If you don't like it, please tell me how we can improve it, what we can do. If you know somebody that would be a great guest, have them reach out. Sonnyspira at gmail.com, S-O-N-N-Y-S-P-E-R-A at gmail.com is the easiest way to get me. You can reach out to me on my cell phone, 607-624-2962. Thanks for listening, folks. Hope you really enjoy it. Have a great day. My name is Drew Burns, and I'm a part of a small group of dentists who believe something crazy. We believe that the standard of care is just not good enough. We demand the best of ourselves and the best for our patients. We believe that the best way, no, the only way to practice dentistry is on our own terms. If you ask the dental consultants or the corporate CEOs, they tell you that what we're doing isn't smart, that fee-for-service dentistry is dead, and that the golden age of dentistry is over. Yet, while others focus on profits first, we focus on the patient first. And yet, our offices are some of the most profitable in the entire country because we invest in ourselves and we are doing things right. It's our name on the door and it's our reputation on the line. My name is Drew Burns and I am a fee-for-service dentist. This is the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast and these are our stories. Welcome to the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast. Today, our special guest, Dr. Robert McGuire. Let me give me a little bit of a background. He's a dentist who had a successful and thriving fee-for-service solo practice for 28 years in Wolfboro, New Hampshire, sold it in 2018. He's a dentist from Georgetown University School of Dentistry, which, of course, being a Syracuse guy, conflict already, right? Just conflict already. We've already handled that offline. He has an MASCL, which is a Master's in Strategic Communication and Leadership from Seton Hall, another Big East school. Another Big and East Na- school. That's right. Navy veteran, three years as a dentist at Paris Island, South Carolina. That had to be super interesting. Past president, New Hampshire Dental Society, fellow in both International College of Dentists and American College of Dentists. Over the years, he's completed continuums at both the Panky and the Dawson Academy. So this guy likes CE, right? This is going to be good. He's now a speaker, coach, and consultant, 
spoken across the country, ADA, Chicago Midwinter. His website is The Fulfillment Period Coach. He loves helping dentists and their teams find fulfillment, teaching them how to build great teams and how to communicate clearly and connect with the patients. How many times have you heard that? Our communication sucks. We have to improve it. And not just with patients, but amongst your team. Signature Talk talked about, um, he publishes and sends out a bi-weekly newsletter entitled Fulfillment Dash, a newsletter for dentists. He's been on multiple podcasts. He's published Dental Economics, Dentistry IQ, Pancagram, Dental Entrepreneur, Dr. Bicuspid, Oral Health, and The Profitable Dentist. Most recently, he has won a spotlight on speaking contest at the Speaking Consulting Network Summit held in Nashville. So please welcome Dr. Robert McGuire. How are you doing? Great, Sonny. Great to be with you. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Now, do you prefer Bob, Rob? What do you, what do you go by? You can call me Rob. Okay. I have I have cousins, right? My dad's brother is Bobby. And th- this is a funny story, because speaking of the name Robert, right? So... Bobby had a son. His son's Robert. The future of fee-for-service dentistry is based in membership patients. If you need help starting your membership plan, or if your plan is too big for your team to manage, visit dentalmembershipdirect.com to set up your free membership growth solution demo with our team. My dad's, my cousin married Bob. Bob had a son, Robbie. Robbie has since had a son that they call call him Rob. So it's like every variation of Robert is in our family, and every single one of them means a specific person. So that's why I asked. So welcome, Rob. Same in my family. Thank you. (laughs) So where are you from? Where'd you grow up? So I grew up in a little town called Nashua, New Hampshire. Actually, it was a little yes, a little city on the Massachusetts border. Uh-huh. It's got about not. It's it's a large city for New Hampshire. It's got about ninety thousand people, Huge. and now I live in a little. I live in a little town of six thousand on Lake Winnipesaukee. Ah, in the middle of that too. In, in the middle of the state. Yes. Wait, wait, Lake Winnipesaukee. Was that where? What about Bob? Was supposed to be? Was that the lake that that was supposed to be on? It was actually, it was on a little pond near Winnipesaukee called Rust Pond, which is right across the street from where I live. How about that? That's so that good a memory. That's a funny movie. You're, you're uh, dating yourself talking about I know, about that's okay. That's, hey, man, Bill Murray movies, I'm in. I'm all in. You want to yeah. talk Bill Murray's? I'll, I'll go. Bill Murray for 300. Alex Trebek, please. I'm ready. So... <laughs> So you grew up in a small town. What was your what was your background? What was your family like? What, what kind of environment you grew up in? So back in the day, uh, Nashville was a uh, a mill town. So mm-hmm. I was one of three. I had two sisters. I was the oldest. We lived in a nine hundred square foot house with one bathroom. Uh, my dad was a mill worker, and uh, that's what he did. And so I knew early on that oof. I wanted to do more than work in a mill. And he was he was a hard worker. He my family, God bless them, they lived within their means. Mm-hmm. They uh they were great people. We had our family vacations camping together. And um so yeah, so I came from very modest means, started working at 12 years old, Sonny. I had right. a paper room, I right. caddied at the at the country yeah. club, I did whatever I could to pay for my education. But you learned, you hustled, you learned that that's that was that was that's a norm. It. If you were going to do it, you had to do it. I had to do it. That's yeah. it. That's and, a great. That's a great. Saw, you what? I I saw how they did it. Oh, okay. It was. <laughs> they did it. They they made it work, and yet, despite coming from yeah. slim monetary means. We had a great family, and we didn't know any different. But, yeah, so I started working at a young age and loved it because I knew at age 12 that I wanted to be a dentist. Really? Where did that come from? What's the genesis of that thought? So the genesis of that is 
it was my orthodontist. I had a severe class two. Okay. Where my nickname was, you know, Bucky the Beaver. Bucky Beaver. But this, mm-hmm. yeah, this, this, this orthodontist. When you were with him, Sonny, it was something special. He made you feel like the most important person in the world, and he remembered stuff about you. It just wasn't like you were another person. He took you into his arms, and that was it. I wanted to do what he did, care for people in a deep way. Not only just fix their teeth, but also care for them as individuals. So Dr. Pabinoist. What was his secret? What was his secret? Did he write notes? How did he keep track of all that? Did you ever find out? I never did. I never did. But he was Curious. he was amazing. And he had a fee for service practice back in the back in the 70s. But people loved him. People were drawn to him. Right. And back then he wasn't the only show in town. You had you had choices, but if you wanted to um go to the orthodontist. Right. He was he was it. He established his position, his brand, they would call it now, right? Well, he did. And it was taking care of people. Mm-hmm. That was his brand. And doing and doing great work too. So he taught at Tufts. He just was involved in the community. So what yeah. age what age were you having orthodontic treatment? Oh my gosh! Well, I you know the back in the day, head everybody wore headgear. So yeah, so did I. I think, I think yeah, I wore so the I high was, the high headgear. The high head thing, the yeah. high pull. I didn't have the neck. I had the high pull headgear. Yeah, the yeah. high pull baby. I think I was ten. Okay, and then and then so this, course, this this ignited this this spark. It did. It really did. That's awesome. And then he was, and he was so proud of his work that he'd call me back year after year to take follow-up photos and he followed my path he (laughs) chastised me after my first semester at the university of new New hampshire undergrad because he asked me do you want to go to dental school or do you want to drink beer you tell me what you want to do and well he's a surrogate dad he was like a dad yeah, he stepped but right yeah. in there. He did. Now, he, he did. He, did he have a bunch of other folks that went into dentistry? I had to be. He had to have that kind of impact. He, he must have. What was interesting is he had six kids, but none of them, <laughs> none of them became none of them became dentists. My here's my guess on that. He gave so much to his practice and his patients that his kids either didn't get that or were a little jealous of the fact that he had that impact. And they did. They weren't able to share that. My guess. Yeah, I'm right? thinking you're probably guessing right. When you're that good at that, right, and you and you can deeply move someone like yourself to move in that direction, and then follow up, right? That's the thing. He didn't just he didn't just give you no, a no. fish, right? He gave you a fish and pole. So he, you know, he followed up. That's great. He was truly he was truly a mentor, Sonny. Yeah. You know those people those people who come into your life. And they care about you, and yeah. they check in on you, and they're they're able to get in your face when you need them to get in your face, but yeah. then also pat you on the back mm-hmm. and say, "Hey, man, you're really doing a great job." And specifically tell them what you're doing. That was that was him. He was, I I would call him my spiritual mentor. Okay. I had other mentors that were like clinical mentors. Guys and gals that I could go to and just brainstorm cases. You know, we've all had those cases where we look at them and go, where do I begin? Yeah, and what the hell is this? He, that's right. And he was a more seasoned dentist, this one who helped me clinically. Mm-hmm. And I could go to him anytime with my mounted study models. Mm-hmm. And together we'd work through the case. Whip mix articulator. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> that's it. I think might have been a might have been a a, a dinar. A dinar, yeah. We had the whip mix. Yeah, that's what we use in double school. But dinar is yeah. a little more popular. So, yeah, so he was he was a great guy. And then I had another mentor who helped me with the business side of things. And 
Um, he was a dentist that I worked for as an associate early on. So <laughs> I sought I sought out these individuals because I knew I stunk in certain areas and I needed I needed help. Well, and if you were, have if you have a rock star coaching team around you, right? You, 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 by osmosis, you should pick up something, you know? And the more that, that they give and share, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, you got to have, even growing up, if you think about it, kids, you know, if they're around and their friends are kind of no gooders, got a hard chance of getting anywhere. But if their friends are all on the up and up, they got the right kind of surround, nurturing surrounding environment that, they're going to lift each other up. You know, it's like, that's the right situation to get into. So, so let's yeah. talk about, so you go to Georgetown from New Hampshire. Was it a struggle with the undergrad in the grades or was Georgetown pretty straightforward? Uh, in, no, in terms of, well, undergrad. So once I got squared away after that first semester, I. Well, I you decided it. against beer. Okay. Fair enough. Yes. Yeah. But once I, once I limited, let me say the beer and did concentrate more on what I was there to do. Mm -hmm. Things got a lot better. And uh, so dental school, dental school was great and thoroughly enjoyed it, did fine. And um, graduated in 84 with 150 other dentists. And uh, I felt it was a great, it was a great education. Yeah. Loved it. Mm -hmm. Now, do you have any thoughts of going into orthodontics, speaking of the orthodontist? So here's the thing. He had encouraged me to do that. Well, Sonny, at that point, I was tired and broke. Right. <laughs> I was yeah, real, life, real life gets real life gets in the way. <laughs> right. And so then from, from Georgetown, I went to the Navy and was stationed at Paris Island, South Carolina. Marine so did you camping. Did you do the Navy as part of the dental school experience or no? So I signed up as a freshman okay. in dental school. There were no scholarships at that time. Right. However, it paid me time and grade so that when I graduated, I was at a pay level, but with four years under my belt. So like officer training, did you do that? Like OIS training up in, uh, up, up in uh, the Cape area? Well, at, at, Officers training back at the time was in Newport, Rhode Island. Newport, that's well, where it was. Were, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they were so desperate for dentists that I had a two-week crash course at Portsmouth Naval Hospital, and I am proud to say that the first person I saluted was a UPS driver. Well, I never, I never lived that one down, uh, but they wanted us. They needed us desperately. And uh, it was still peacetime back in the 80s, back in Reagan days. Uh, right. But there was still, we were processing 22,000 recruits a year. The thing about the Navy was I was able to develop my clinical skills. We had a, we had a, a um, rotation. You right. did oral surgery. You did endo. You did, you did it all at a pace that was comfortable for you. There was no pressure to produce. It was all about quality. In fact, our work was checked. They mm -hmm. checked our work to make sure that that it was satisfactory. And we didn't feel bad about it because we looked at it as a as a learning opportunity. I'll never forget my first extraction. Tooth number 19. Sonny, uh -huh. I broke the of course I broke a root tip off. And of course I'm and of course I'm perspiring like mad. I'm mm -hmm. only out of dental school a few months. This technician who's with me, he's who's been who was in the Navy for 15 years, he says, Doc, I got you covered. Dang, Sonny. He led me through that whole procedure. He showed me how to use that elevator he showed mm -hmm. back then we didn't have luxators so it was a little right mm -hmm. brutal with those remember those east west elevators i do the ones with the handle yeah but careful not to break the jaw yeah he let that's right but he mm -hmm. led me through that whole procedure but what i learned from that was 
your team members have got a lot of knowledge. So tap them, ask them what their opinions are. You'd be surprised at the answers that you get. And I did that over the years, and that was gold. I can't tell you how many great ideas they came up with about how we could schedule better or how we could do a procedure more efficiently. You well, know, you have when to, I'm sending you, but, these instruments but, on the tray, you're reaching way over here. How about right. if I set it right here? Or how about yet if you let me hand it to you instead of you grabbing it? But the doctor has to accept that and has to be comfortable enough in their own skin, have enough self-esteem to not view that as uh, demeaning in front of a patient or showing me up or making me small, whatever the case. Because uh, I, I, we have that, like when we have an associate, we have a new associate going to join us as well. And they work with our entire staff. Now we're a pretty large office. We have five offices and 70 plus people. So there might be one assistant that I've worked with for 10 years. There might be one that's this amount of time. So they might be able to learn from me via the assistant if they allow it to happen. And how that conversation goes is so important, but it's, you have to have the right, I'm going to call it temperament, probably not a fair word, but you have to have the right self-esteem, in my opinion, to understand that, hey, this person's here to help you. Yeah, and I think ahead of time, which I found was key, is to kind of set the rules of the game, is that I'm open to feedback and I hope that you will be open to feedback as well. But what I want right. us both to agree upon is that when we offer suggestions to one another, we'll do it in the back. Mm -hmm. We won't do it in front of a in front of a patient. But we'll look right. at these moments as opportunities for learning. And it mm -hmm. worked great. Oh yeah, we've had all those things. We've had, I'm sure you've had them as well, where a dental assistant might say to you. Uh, Dr. McGuire, do you really want to do that or s something stupid? Mm -hmm. But that, hey, we've all we've all done it. Yeah, learning opportunities. We used to call them uh, teachable moments. That's is what it. we would say. Yeah, teachable moments. Love that. Yeah, we use that a lot in uh, coaching with basketball and stuff. Hey, that's a teachable moment for that kid. So use it. Yeah. You know. That's it. All right. So, so you're in. How long are you at? You're at Paris Island for how long? Three years. Three years. Now, is I your was, commitment over at that point? It was. Yeah, and I and I knew that um, my career in the Navy would be three years and only three years. Okay. I realized early on that I have a big mouth, uh -huh. and perhaps that might not flow well in the Navy. But here's the other thing. I did want to go back and reestablish roots uh, in mm -hmm. New Hampshire and be part of a community. And right. would I do it again in a heart in a heartbeat? I, I would. Some of my dearest friends today are my Navy friends. Now, were you married, kids, anything like? Say that again. Like at the time, what was your personal situation? Were you married? Did you have kids? Did you relocate? What was what was that? I was married. I had I got married in dental school actually. Yeah, so did I. Yeah. yeah, I married my, uh, I married a childhood sweetheart. I met her in the first grade, and um, we oh, she knows you pretty well. Well, we were best friends in high school. Went on one date, spent all day polishing up the baby blue Ford Torino station wagon, a real stud car. There you go. It was a, a real total disaster. Then she went to Maryland. I went to University of New Hampshire. We wrote letters, and the rest was history. So we got married in dental school, had one kid in uh, the Navy, and then had uh, had a daughter. And then later on, we had two more daughters. So I have three three daughters that are all grown. No grandkids okay. yet. We're hoping. But... All right. So so you're newly married. You're a couple years married. You're in the you're in the the Navy. You're at Paris Island. You have this child. And you knew it was three years. So your commitment, it was like a three-year residency, we'll call it, right? So you finished. What was your path to now going private practice? So my path at that point 
was I had joined up. I went back to Nashua, where I grew up, and I became an associate with my uh, childhood dentist with okay. the with the idea that I would eventually become a partner with him. He had a service, a fee-for-service practice. He was well-respected in the community. He did beautiful dentistry. Uh, and that's the type of person that I wanted to um, Nashua? join up in Nashua. Yes. Okay. So you obviously and kept in touch with him then as you were in the Navy, I, I assume, right? I did. Okay. And he kept in touch with me too. Kind of so my how, another second sure. father figure. So how did it go when you went up? Uh, we worked for three years, and the timing was never right to <laughs> um, to buy in. And I flew the coop, found this practice opportunity in the little town of Wolfboro, New Hampshire, and was there, practiced there for 28 years. So I, I have to ask you, because I, I have yeah. not exactly, but a similar moment, because you're, you're in with as you described, one of your key mentors, phenomenal dentist, not not a, not a bad word came out of your mouth in describing that. And I'm guessing that the partnership issue, which was discussed readily, was sort of put on the back burner. But I, I'm going to ask you, when and how did you come to the realization that, A, this is not going to happen, and B, I got to have a second second plan now? So take us through that moment. The moment was when I sat down and said, I can't be an associate anymore. I really would like to be a partner and share in the responsibilities of this practice. Did, did you have quite, did you have talks that before that though, like here's how it's gonna go? Did, did, was that a conversation or did just life get in the way because you got busy with life? We did and the answer was, the, t the timing's just not right. How about if we talk again in a year? Well, then another year went by. Right. And you know, Sonny, when you're when you're when you're our age, yeah. we have a lot more wisdom than we did back when we were in our twenties. Huh. And as I look back, I probably should have pressed the issue a little bit more, but I didn't. But well, I, I, believe I, I find that sometimes, sorry to interrupt you, but I find that sometimes sure. the discipline of dealing with that business part, some dentists just don't want to deal with. So I'd much rather say, well, let's look at it another year. Because it takes a discipline outside of the office to say, let's sit down, let's really hammer this out. So as you're doing this once a year and it's getting put off and put off, where 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 does your mind turn and finally say this isn't going to happen? I need to start exploring my other opportunities because I mine was a little bit different, but I do remember and I remember struggling with it. But I knew that ultimately I wanted to steer my own ship. So what 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 was your take us through that thought passive possibly? Yeah, well that that's it. I knew I wanted to be the captain of my own ship, but again you you hope you're hoping that things will get better. You're hoping that this situation will take place as originally planned, as you originally thought. Now, here's the thing, Sonny. I'm back in my hometown. Yeah, my exactly. Fam my my yeah. family lives there. Your wife's family. I have a restrictive covenant that will put me out of where I am. Right. So it it took a lot of courage to realize that it's time to time to move on, and it probably was slower than it should have been. But everything worked out beautifully. How how old was your daughter at this point? My daughter was four. Oh, four. Okay. All right. Well, that's oh, that's yes. not, so they're not really but they're I not had, really enveloped no, in the school system. But I had just bought a house right back in the eighties 
And of course, when it comes time to move, you know what happened to real estate in the late 80s or early 90. So here I am selling a house for less than I paid for it three years prior. But again, it's all lessons learned. But you're but you're but you're leaving the nest too, right? So you had to have some and your wife had to have a lot of trepidations about, you know, we're leaving what we know. We're going to something that we don't. Just address that because I'm I know there's people in that are in their in our shoes as they were then that are out there now listening saying, Oh yeah, I, I, I don't I don't want to go uncomfortable. Yeah. Well you need to I'm gonna say you need to get uncomfortable. But you need to get if you are uh, if you have a spouse, you need to do it together. Mm-hmm. So when this opportunity arose 70 miles from where I am now, going f- to the country from a city, mm-hmm. first thing I did was I brought my wife up and said, hey, let's take a look at this. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Because if it was a no from her, then it was a no-go. Right. And what we see in our rural town a lot is that, uh, particularly on the physician side of things, they'll come to our town with their spouse, whether they're male or female, and the spouse is miserable. And so a year later, they're 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 leaving. Yeah. So courage and just having faith that things are going to, to work out and... That's all I can tell you. It is a leap of faith. Mm-hmm. And you know what? You've heard that expression, no risk, no return. You got you got to get uncomfortable. It's okay. Because that's where you grow. Right. Yeah, you grow in your you grow outside your comfort zones where you grow. That's a great expression too. So it's, it's, you do you want to share what the practice looked like when you got into it? What were you, what was it doing? What was what did it look like? What what did you pay for it? I mean, talk a little sure. bit about that. Yeah. So do you want me to talk numbers with you? I'll be happy. Yeah, absolutely. To. Whatever you're sure. comfortable with. So this was a solo um private practice. Let me get the individual three rooms. Had, no, four rooms. Okay. All right. Okay. Two hygienists. Oh wow. One dental. Two hygienists, one yeah. dental assistant, yeah. uh, one and a half individuals at the front desk. This was back in 1990. Who was the half? Who was the half? His spouse? <laughs> uh, no, no, really? it wasn't. It was a part. It was a part-time person. Now, okay. mind right. you, Sonny, back then we weren't computerized. Right. The computers were just starting to come out. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. weren't batching insurances. You were stuffing as many as you could in an envelope sure. and hoping that you'd get by with one stamp. Enough to get one stamp on. Yeah, that's how I started in yeah. 1902. <laughs> yeah, ledger cards. Yep. I mean, it Triple was... Triple right system. Yeah. So the, so the practice back then was doing 365000 This was... Yeah, about 30 a month. 90. Yeah. And I paid one sixty five. Right for this for this practice. Let me guess. Was um, that about about equal to his net? It was equal to his net. Yeah, that's what I bought for. Yeah. Same thing. Mine was. was a little bit more. It was four, yeah, four forty, and, and, and it was a two twenty five purchase for you. Yeah, and mm-hmm. so right out of the shoot, and accounts were receivable were a little on the high side. Right. right. So I said. I will collect your accounts receivable for you. I'll coll- I'll take 10% to do that. Right. And then at the end of the month, I will write you a check for what right. I've collected for you. Well, here's the thing. I didn't have to take out um, a business line of credit. I used that money to help then move forward. So it was it was a hamster wheel practice, Sonny. Mm. single tooth double book with one assistant we Mm. had a dark room imagine the dark room Mm. although we did we did have this new instrument called a peri pro pro 
you stick your hands in the Put little the single boxes, ones in there, yeah. and you pale your pale your. Then, um, then you hope it doesn't film, get caught in the and you hope it doesn't picture. get jammed up. That's it. That's yeah. it. And you were doing everything in duplicates. Well, anyway, so it was a hamster wheel practice. Often there were two two columns going. Okay. The one column was a single tooth restorative, and the other column was an extraction. So okay. it was right. it was a lot. Now, I was, knew I was, was he retiring? Die. Was he out? He uh no, he moved, he relocated to his to his home which was in virginia okay how long was he in this practice so he had been there so the i bought the practice in 1990 the practice was started from scratch in 1976 and okay. he had been there for seven or eight years so not so, that long and he, he was so he bought he bought the originator of the practices out or what happened because it was started in yeah, 76. So he bought it from the original the founder okay. of the practice. Okay. So I'm the third dentist to come in gotcha. to the scene. Okay. But but now you also got to get into the community. It's a small town. You're you're a young family. Now what 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 avenue or what vehicle do you use? Is is church or yes. you know social clubs or you know uh, service clubs? What did you do to get into the community so that you no longer were the outside? Yeah, it was church. That okay. was that was the first thing. And the second thing is, if I were recommend, if I could make a recommendation to younger dentists, is win them over. Win your patients over. Don't go in there and just make major changes right out of the chute. Mm -hmm. Go in there, introduce yourself, get to know them, and, and let it happen. So the fact that I was intentional about getting to know the patients, not making any major changes. Yeah, I wanted to change the decor and this and that, but just do it gradually. Get to know the people first. And then honestly, it was church and making sure that you did your shopping in town. So being, being out and about in the uh, community. Now I had, you you look you meet people through school so having kids you're at their sports events all my daughters were athletes so you meet people at their sporting events but i didn't get involved with um rotary club or the lions club all those things that were there because honestly in order for me to stay balanced having your own private practice for me was a lot and then i still had a family that i had to to take care of as well so it was basically church and then um taking care of your patients and then being involved being seen in the community so i, I mean no question about it. i think that's to me i mean we practice in similar towns um you, you have to be a fabric part of the fabric of the society of your of your community it's not and you can't fake that you can't, it has to be genuine and real, right? So I, I, my story is similar. I went into the practice. Um, now I'm a local kid from, you know, we'll say six towns over, which you know, is a big deal in our area, but I didn't have that community much. You know, they didn't know me that well, <laughs> you know, so what I did was I did change the decor a little bit. Like I put different drapes up and I changed the, I changed um, some of the chairs in the reception area uh, and I changed like some wallpaper and some coloring schemes, just a little bit. Right. And, and didn't change anything else. And so, oh yeah, it's just, so it really was a, a little bit of a spruce up or a little bit of an update, so to speak, you know, and it, and it wasn't coming in and like all of a sudden now, now we have marble walls and, you know, waterfalls and this is not going to be a, park avenue practice right in the middle of this really small town in the basement of a raised ranch which was where we were that's not what we did but we did change the decorum a little bit to reflect a little more of the early 90s so naturally what are your colors you're like rose you're like teal like blue you know like the color scheme now would be like oh my god that was the early 90s but yeah that's what it was 
but it was a big change over what it had been. And it didn't cost very much, but it was enough to, you know, show that, okay, we're going to modernize a little bit and as people expect it, you know? So how did the practice look? It was a fee for service practice. You said, right. Uh, back then there weren't many PPOs. Right. So you would, um, back then it was, we'll take your insurance when we receive the check from the insurance company, we'll send so you the, a bill we'll send you for your bill. for your portion. That's that's where the ledger card comes and comes. You just send a copy of the ledger card. So you, you, so know, yeah, how many, it, you know how many statements I was sending yeah. out in a month, right out of the shoot. I know, I know, I was 100, 120. Yeah, I was not too different. <laughs> so. What 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 was your what was your um, overall thoughts then? What are you going to do with this practice? What what did you have in mind for the evolution of this practice as you saw it? Well, I learned that I didn't know what I didn't know, but I did know that if this continued, I was going to burn out. That I could not keep up with that pace. Nor was it rewarding because they were scheduled so tight that you couldn't ha you couldn't chat with anybody. And there was a lot of um, patch and fix because, again, you're not spending time talking with patients about their treatment options and with one dental assistant. Sure. So anyways, uh, having that mentor who did comprehensive dentistry, who did understand how important it is to establish a relationship first with your patient and communicate. He was the one who set me on track. And that's when then I got involved with uh, the Panky Institute and the Dawson Academy. Now, Sonny, here's the thing. You talk about another leap of faith. Back then, it, was, it wasn't cheap to go to the Panky Institute for a week. Well, now it's cheap. less. Yeah. But still not cheap, the yeah. benefit was it was a life-changing benefit and uh so that's where i got the um vision of how i wanted to practice mm -hmm. and the first step so what as i look back or so what was the first major change that you did to help you get on the road to <laughs> more comprehensive dentistry or fee-for-service dentistry. Mm -hmm. It was a new patient exam that patients were no longer coming in, coming in through the hygiene department, that I was going to spend time with patients first, getting to know them. I thought I was going to have a rebellion on my hands. They're going, you can't do that. Yeah. Our production will tank. I'm going, we need to do this. And here's slow down the, to speed slow up. Down. Yeah. Slow exactly. And I said, and we're gonna be changing our how we collect money. That patients will be paying their copay when they come in. We will still accept assignment. Right. Now back then, as I said, there were no PPOs. Here is the real um, where you drew the line in the sand in 2014. So back then, Delta Dental was the big player. Sure. And back then, there was only there was the premier program. If you remember, you submit your fees to them. If you fall within the 90th percentile, well, then you're good to go. Well, then in 2014, in, they introduced the PPO plan. Mm -hmm. And... I drew the line in the sand and said, no, we're not going to do this. And so, and of course, the whole staff goes, the whole team goes, huh? mm -hmm. I'm like, it, it's going to be all right. We've got to do this. If we want to provide quality care for our patients, then we need to do this because the fees, the lower fees will prohibit us from providing the quality of care that our patients deserve. Mm -hmm. Anyways, that year my practice grew, sure. but they were so scared. Now, here's the other thing. I had a colleague who I had been chatting with who said, Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna drop them. I'm like, okay, 
this this dentist had a mass exodus out of their practice. Well, why did I thrive and the other dentist's practice had the door open and people exit? You thrived, he's dived. Okay. I thrived, he dived. And consequently had to go back to Mm-hmm. Delta, the, P, the PPO program. Do you know what the difference was? Communication. We had, we had relationships with our patients. They were coming to us because of who we were and what we were about. Not, it wasn't a head count type of thing. Now, at that point, Sonny, I was known as, I had heard that I was the most expensive dentist in town. That was my claim to fame. And I did that. That's how the total fee-for-service came about. But what we had done is we had set the groundwork ahead of time, mm-hmm. is realizing that fee-for-service dentistry, it's about being clear about who you are and what you're about. Why do you Mm -hmm. want to be fee-for-service? Well, for me, it's all about relationships, and it's all about providing the best care for your patients. Mm -hmm. That was it. And I I have here's another one of my favorite expressions. Here's a thing that bugs me sometimes is, and I'm guilty, obsession over practice numbers. Oh, Sonny, in my early days, I was obsessed over numbers. I was obsessed over a broken broken appointments. Mm-hmm. Not only did I drive myself nuts, I drove my team nuts. Well, here's the thing. Once I got my eyes off of that and started focusing on the geese that laid the golden eggs, which are my team members and my patients, I didn't have to chase it. It chased me. Mm-hmm. Well, isn't as Rich Green at the Panky Institute would say, isn't that interesting? So, well, so, getting- so, so let me ask you about the numbers since you mentioned it, right? Yeah. So you went you went into the practice. It was doing. You said it was about three thirty five, right? Yeah. When you bought it, do you remember yeah. what what happened to those numbers as you were doing your thing? And at what point did you have this epiphany? Uh, I can tell you that I I had steady eddy growth for right. my whole practice. It was five percent, an average of five percent growth every year sometimes Mm -hmm. it was more Mm -hmm. but it was that steady upward trend but but when you uh, make this change you had to see a little more accelerated growth because i did it's almost like you're not paying attention to the numbers yet the numbers are taking care of themselves i have always told all my docs take care of the patients and those things take care of themselves and i know it's a simplistic form especially as the owner of this you know this entity, this beast. Sometimes, it, it and yeah. it's it's it, you can't lose sight of that. You just can't. Like no matter what, yeah. go back to that's your mom in the chair, or that's your sister in the chair. Or what would you do? Like, yeah, it's, it. and there's a there's a market for this in terms of really providing, really caring for people. Mm-hmm. It's and it's fun. Do you would you rather see two patients in the morning? Or do you want to see eight or ten? You choose. But what it takes is taking the time to connect with that patient, find out what their needs are, their desires, and then dovetail it together. Mm -hmm. And again, slowing down to speeding up. But hey, here's another thing that I think will um, benefit the young listeners. I used to go in... So mind you, I'm doing the new patient exam, right? So I'm doing the co-discovery where I'm involving the patient. Were you aware of this loose tooth over here? Or 
All right, do you think you're grind your teeth? Oh, no, I don't grind my teeth. Well, involving them in the process. So anyways, so then I would have a separate consultation visit, and I'd go in there with my polished study models, and I'm so mm -hmm. proud, and I'm going to just waterboard them with all this information. Some of them like it. Some of them didn't. But I was so intent on having them say yes to my treatment plans. Guess what? A lot of times they said no. Mm -hmm. Well, once I got rid of that thought process, thought process of I want to connect with my patients and I want to present treatment to them that's a fit for them and ask them ahead of time, hey, listen, I've got a lot of information to share with you. Would you like the details or just the bottom line? What would you like? And a lot of times they say, hey, just, hey, doc, just hit me with the bottom line. So knowing how to connect with them and releasing yourself from any expectation of what they will say. If they said yes, if they said no, if they said some, none, it didn't matter. It was going to be okay. Guess what? Once I got rid of that need, my need to have them say yes to my treatment plan that I had so carefully planned out, how dare you say no to me? Once I got rid of that stinking thinking, all of a sudden they're saying yes to my treatment recommendations because I had spent time with them caring for them ahead of time. And what I was saying to them made sense. Now, here's the other thing. We had things in place. We, we had uh, outside financing in place to help them out. Mm -hmm. Back then, we didn't have membership plans, but I, or a smile plan like you have in your practice. Mm -hmm. But if we did back then, you betcha I would have been on board with that. Anything that I could do to help patients mm -hmm. get the get the care that they they needed and deserved. So, now, what did your what did your team look like? When did you add a second assistant, and when did you add a second? When what did your team look like as you as you started to do this? Did you change? Yes, I did, and I changed early on. <laughs> two, two, two. Yeah. Two dental assistants, two dental hygienists, and two front desk administrators. And how, how many, was so, it four day a week? Or how many days were you working? Four day a week. I worked Monday through Thursday, eight to four. I had a 50, consistently had a 50 to 52% overhead. Okay. Uh, Which I, is kind of where the other one was, right? Was it was in that neighborhood, right? Yeah, the other one was doing, it was doing okay. Here's the thing is money is one aspect of your private practice. It's fulfillment that I'm all about. Is mm -hmm. are you getting juice out of your job? Are you, mm -hmm. can I share with you how I define fulfillment? Please do. It's doing the dentistry you love with a team you love and with patients you love. Mm -hmm. If you're able to do that, you're, you're feeling it's that level of significance. It's that Maslow's hierarchy. It's the yeah. top of the self-actualization. Self-actualization. That's mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Not it many people get to that. Yeah. Huh? Not many people get to that. They get usually, I think that level just below that is where a lot of folks get. You know what, Sonny? It takes it takes time to really sit down and say what matters most to me, or how can I make a difference in the lives of others? But as you said, it's a self-esteem thing. It's a it's a feeling of worthiness. It's like how much how much reflection did you do in yourself? Because I think people miss this self-reflection, and it had to start more deeply when you were moving and going in on your own, right? And, and getting to that point of what do I really want in my practice? Like you had to, you had to come up with the thought, I want to own, I want to drive my own ship. Okay. That takes a lot of self-reflection and you have to really come to grips and come get comfortable with that. What kind of, what kind of things did you do there that helped propel you later? 
I thought back to my mentor, Dr. Babineau, mm -hmm. and how he practiced and that he owned his own private practice mm -hmm. and the smile that he always had on his face. I thought about the the my associateship with the dentist that I was privileged to work with mm -hmm. and how his patients loved him and how he was the captain of his ship. Mm -hmm. And that's what I wanted because I felt as an as an associate. So I had two experiences private. I was in the Navy. Mm -hmm. I was told what to do. And I was an associate. And I had no really say in terms of changes that I wanted to, mm -hmm. to make. And so those wanting to be able to do to have the freedom to do those things mm -hmm. the only way i knew i could do that was to own my own practice mm -hmm. does that make sense yeah yeah i just don't i just don't think enough people give enough thought of it. like they read something on facebook and they say well i should own my own practice you know like there was someone posted something the other day and it was like i'm working Three days a week, four days a week, I'm making, you know, I'd say $300,000, $400,000. I get to do what I want. I get to use materials I want. I enjoy it. I'm loving it. But should I be owning a practice? And, and it was almost like, well, listen to the first half of your statement. It, it sounds like you found happiness and success. Don't let someone else define it for you. you know? Well, that's it. That's right. And, and, I'm sharing my private practice view. The bottom line is, are you happy in your situation? Are you coming out at, at the end of the day? Are you coming out energized? Do you have enough left for your family? That happiness piece is key. And for some people, that me as being... A, whatever situation you're in whether it's working for corporate or as an mm -hmm. associate if mm -hmm. you are content and happy then that's there's a lot of different important. definitions of happiness i mean there is a and and it's all personal isn't it 100 percent. and i just don't think yeah. enough people spend enough time on themselves to understand what fills their own bucket right and because, and here's, it's busyness. I just wrote a newsletter article on busyness, on mm -hmm. how I had spoken to other colleagues and said, how are you doing? They go, oh, I'm so busy. Yeah. But did they say it with a smile on, her, on their face? A lot of them didn't. And right. it's because you don't stop and take time to say, okay, what? what floats my what floats my boat yeah. you just what do get I need? wrapped up in the or spend some time and thought rather than on facebook mm -hmm. <laughs> i don't want to slam social media but no I mean, no but you, you but let's take take that out of it what if it's just your friends at the country club or your friends at the at your church your your other professional colleagues oh they drive a nicer car or they have this or you know, or they must be doing something right, or the appearances, or keeping up with the Joneses, or fear of missing out. Pick your poison, right? It, it has to come from self-awareness, self-esteem. You have to be comfortable in your own skin. Like I am, like I make plenty of money, but I don't need to drive X. I am happy driving Y, period. I can live here. I choose to live here. I'm happy. Like, that's 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 me but there's so many people that see that grass on the other side of the fence and and they want it but do they really want it and do they really need it, it it's just it's a question that only each person can answer and yeah. i i find that sorely lacking especially someone who puts a post out there and wants advice like immediately like, like tell me what to do like are you kidding me you're giving me three sentences and you you know, th this is, you can have a conversation and maybe at that point you'll understand yourself better. You know, like I had a conversation last night with a fellow I interviewed a while back in Texas and he's, 
you know, he's looking at a practice where he's working. The doctor's is going to pass away shortly. And, you know, and, and I said, well, what do you want to do? You know, and then we, as we were talking, we were talking about his main office and he goes, geez, I didn't expect us to talk more about this. I said, well, it sounds like that's like, this is, you, you know, you're, you're, you're the lead in this conversation. I'm just bouncing ideas off of, I'm just here to, you know, so your sounding board and get you to get you some clarity maybe. But you, you got to do what you think. But you can make any of these situations work. But what do you want it to be for you? Yeah. It's key. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I bet the I bet a question like that catches them off guard. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's just people want, I think people want Nintendo answers. You know, click here and get this. You know, pull Nintendo the lever. Nintendo answer. Right? I love that. Pull the lever get the answer. Right? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like the like the chimpanzee and the and, or the mouse in the experiment, pull the lever, get the piece of cheese, you know, like so that that, that we want that immediate, you know, hit that clicker, go there, you know, lights bona, I'm done. I got my answer in five seconds. It's not gonna happen. Yeah. No. Not anything. No. And then the whole the whole the whole no, and it's just focus on your own journey. Yeah. Because the whole I call it the comparison pit. Yeah. I think too much time we we contend, and I, I, I'm just as guilty as other people. Is you, you can get out of that, that circle, of the, your circle of control, your circle of joy, mm. and then step out into that area that you have no control of. Well, how does that make you feel? Yeah. Just work on. Do you? Yeah. Just what, do you. What? 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 As you said, what floats your boat? Yeah. And what gives you juice? To me, that's what it's all about. And for me, it's not driving a. Honestly, Sonny, I drive a two thousand. I'm going to confess right now to you. I drive a two thousand. Wait, wait, wait. Let me put my collar up. Let me put my white collar. Yeah, there up. you go. Father, go Father, Father, Father Spera. Father Spera, just like my cousin Jimmy. Go ahead. Yeah, cousin Jimmy, I drive a two thousand thirteen Nissan Frontier truck. There you go. I love my truck. <laughs> yeah, why don't you get a new truck? I love my truck. I love the smell. I love to be able to take it to the dump and put stuff in it and not worry about whether I'm going to get a scratch or whatever. I love my truck. Anyways. You got to have that bumper sticker in the back. I love my truck. I love my truck. I, don't I sound like a... Uh, you sound a, like Toby Keith is who you sound like. Uh, yeah, a country, a country boy from... Yeah, the Luke Combs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Anyway, yeah, Luke Bryan, all good. Well, listen, I really appreciate it. Uh, I, I thanks for your time, Rob. And uh, I do want to ask you one last question. Yeah. And uh, I, I asked most everybody this the first time on. So, if you had the ability to go anywhere, anytime, any place backwards, and spend it doing whatever you want, or seeing whoever you want, or talking to whoever you want, like where would you go and why? Hmm. First That's thought. A good question. Yeah. First thought. Hmm. I think I'd. Uh, I'm. I've Irish roots. Uh -huh. So I think I'd like to go to Ireland and learn more about my ancestors who came over through Ellis Island, uh -huh. and with nothing but the shirt on their backs, right. to maybe right. discover how they. Um, how they lived and where they were from. So I think that's the answer that I would. That's uh, perfect. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Yeah. yeah. If you spend too much time thinking about it, you overthink it, just click. Like what's the first that's thought, it. you know, like, like yeah. talking with Richard, you know, his, he's a big music, music lover. And he thought his thing was his 60th birthday, seeing Rich Paul McCartney in, uh, in Liverpool playing on his birthday with his brother. Oh, that would be like, cool. Huh? It's perfect. You know, yeah. it's just, it's just, it's, it's what means it to you. So. It's all yeah. good. And again, guess what? There's no wrong answers. <laughs> no. Sonny, this was a blast. Thank uh, you very much. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank <laughs> you. And if they want to reach you, I'm going to put your stuff up on the on the show notes. If anybody wants to, meet, wants to reach out to uh, Dr. McGuire, you can reach out to him. Again, his website, again, is The Fulfillment Period Coach. And yeah, you can reach him. But I'll put his contact and information in, in the show notes. So appreciate you very Great. much. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Talk to you later. Thanks. Take care. 
Thanks for listening to the fee-for-service dentist podcast. If you would like to share your fee-for-service story, please fill out our contact form at ffsdentistry.com. Also, be sure to join our fee-for-service dentistry Facebook group. For help starting your dental membership plan, visit dentalmembershipdirect.com and membershipmastercourse.com. Finally, for help with in-house financing, visit dentalfinancingdirect.com. And don't forget, your story is what you make of it. This is your name on the door and your reputation on the line. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time.